How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 111 of X-Lapsed. And, uh, well, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the this is the book we've been traveling through these other books just to get to. Uh, when we started this little project, I had the... Uh, well, uh, I, I, I'm not known for my ability to read a calendar. I, I mess that up more often than I don't. And I assumed that we'd be all caught up with these Dawn of X books before the big mass crossover event uh, wrapped up. And no, (laughs) no, we indeed did not. But uh, we do have a lot to talk about today. So let's just get right into it here. We are talking X of Swords, Ten of Swords, X of Tens, whatever we're going to be calling it. I'm sure we'll call it all three. This is X of Swords creation, number one, or Ten of Swords creation, or... I'm saying exoswords. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know it's supposed to be ten of swords. I'm saying exoswords. The same way I annoyed a lot of people by saying powers of X instead of powers of ten back in the long ago. But let's just do it. Let's just do it. Enough vamping here. Exoswords, creation number one, had a November 2020 cover date. Written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard with art by Pepe Larraz. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa White Sapolsky. Cover price... $6.99. Youch. On sale September 23rd, 2020. Now we open with a mostly blank page featuring a short quote from Saturnine. I guess the more things change, the more they remain the same. Now we open at the Del Dolor in the kingdom of Dryador in Otherworld. Uh, this entire place is about to be run overrun by the children of Apocalypse which is to say the original Four Horsemen. Inside the tower, which I'm guessing is the Del Delore, uh, a squire is approached by the cursed king of Dryador. The squire is instructed to send word to Saturnine to warn of what is likely headed her way. The squire hops on a, like a flying dinosaur sort of critter and uh, is run through by an arrow from the horseman before he can leave. Jump to a double-page spread of creds with some refreshing blue highlights. Then our roll call, and it's a biggie. We got Rockslide, Rachel Summers, Summoner, Apocalypse, Magneto, Cypher, Polaris, Havoc, Richter, Siren, Beast, Angel, Monet, Kid Cable, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. Back to comics and back to the Squire, who somehow still makes it to the Starlight Citadel, but he's fading very fast. As he lay dying, he warns Saturnine that Araco has fallen. And so, Opal Luna, what's-your-face, asks for her cards. Then, stop me if you've heard this one before. We're in a forgotten place at a forgotten time where four figures step out of a portal of sorts. They're led by what appears to be a woman in a fish mask or with a fish head. 
The quartet includes a pair of Egyptian-looking semi-antler-headed beings and a minotaur with a broken horn. Anybody else having deja vu? Hmm. The minotaur steps forward and, while speaking in tongues, draws out a sigil. From it emerges a great reptilian tail like a Lovecraftian horror or something. Then the fish-headed woman, I think, transforms the horror into something a lot smaller. Maybe a deck of cards, I don't know. Then the foursome head through another portal, and they're headed to meet back up with Saturnine. We had an info page about the Starlight Citadel. Eh. Then, back to comics, and uh, hey, stop me if you've heard this before. We shift scenes over to the Starlight Citadel. And it looks like uh, our foursome has arrived, maybe. Saturnine appears and is handed a box by a green-haired woman with a crescent moon floating over her head, and inside that box are those tarot cards, which uh, is going to bridge us to new content, I promise. But in the interest of completionism, let's go through these cards again, shall we? First is the card of Judgment. On it we see Apocalypse and the Summoner stood before the external gate, which we saw, you know, in X-Men Volume 5, Number 12, and also in the free comic book day deal. Then the Four of Wands. This card features the original Four Horsemen of Apocalypse, the Children of Apocalypse. The next card is the Hanged Man. And this card features several characters. Um, and uh, they are different on this page than they were in the free comic book day special here. They are Apocalypse, Beast, Richter. Instead of Glob Herman, we have Rockslide. Instead of M or Trinary, Trinary, we have the Creepy Summoner. We've got Havoc. Instead of Banshee flying above, we got Siren. We also got Angel and Polaris. Those are the same. Next up, the Eight of Cups, and it's a split scene, of course, depicting Apocalypse Wife Genesis and Annihilation. We saw this already. The final card is, of course, the X of Tens, or the Ten of Swords. And it depicts ten X-Men all carrying swords. They are Apocalypse, Kid Cable, Wolverine, Magic, Betsy Britton, either Quanon or Gorgon, Storm, Doug Ramsey, Magneto, and maybe Major X. I don't know. Probably not. Now, these characters did not change between the free comic book day gimme and this issue, so same deal here. This time, however, Saturnine does not comment that there'll be an unexpected loss and a betrayal. The captions have changed, her dialogue has changed. I don't know why. Really gives us a last-minute sort of feel, but we'll talk about that later. Next up, an info page. Go figure. Now we've got a tarot reading from Tarot, probably the Hellion, right? Now, she has tried doing several readings, but each time she can only draw the same five cards that we just looked at. Maybe the repetition here is a, is a theme, right? We, we saw these already in the free comic book day thing, and we're seeing them again. Maybe uh, poor young Tarot uh, just feels our pain and frustration. Now, let's get into some new information here. We go back to Krakoa. And we join Rachel, Rockslide, and Magma at the Caldera at Arako Point, where the external gateway is. From it springs a Lovecraftian horror being ridden by the creepy summoner, who is carrying a nearly dead Banshee. From here, we hop to the healing gardens, where Banshee is attended to by the old Morlock healer. Apocalypse arrives for a sit rep from his grandson and is told of an ambush. Now, if you remember, in uh, X-Men number 12, the uh, summoner was going to be escorted into Otherworld by Eunice the Untouchable and Banshee. And according to the Summoner, there was an ambush. We'll find out more about that as we go. Next stop, the Quiet Council. 
where Apocalypse lays out his case for an invasion into Otherworld to save the rest of Araco. Magneto's pretty dismissive of this idea, and he reminds old A that he's done all this work thus far in secret. And it's only now, when he needs help, that he decides to fill in the council on what's going down. Apocalypse claims that he was only working in Krakoa's best interests, to which Krakoa itself, via Doug Ramsey, chimes in, and uh, more or less backs up Apocalypse's claim. Krakoa recognizes and accepts his gift of the external gate. Apocalypse then fills in the rest of the council on the Krakoan origin story, which we've already seen once or twice before. It was cleaved by the Twilight Sword, if you recall. Uh, then back in X-Men Volume 5, Number 2, when the remnant of Okara showed up and merged with Krakoa, Apocalypse started working on a way to reunify the island and make it whole. Now, he turns the floor over to the High Summoner to speak for a bit, and we hear of the ambush on the other side of that external gate. Eunice the Untouchable... Well, I mean, he isn't called Eunice the Uncapturable, I guess, so yeah, he was captured. Banshee fought, but was wounded very, very badly in the battle. Now, the summoner reports that Arako has fallen, and will ultimately this will ultimately result in the end of the world, because of course it will. Xavier asks for a plan. Apocalypse responds that thousands of years ago, he'd forfeited half the island to stop these hordes. If you remember, they were sent into that chasm, which was then sealed, I think. Sebastian Shaw suggests that they just shut down the damn external gate. Storm won't allow them to do so because to do so would be leaving Eunice behind. And really, Eunice? Okay. Jean pipes in and says she'll have Scott lead an otherworldly recon team to rescue Eunice. And Apocalypse says, no, 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 don't do that because he himself will go. Sinister suggests that they wait for Apocalypse to step through the portal and then destroy it. Because Sinister is sassy. Nightcrawler worries that this might be the world's response to the big to the mutants big stepping out during Hoxpox, because now they have all new enemies, and uh, you know they're all very dull and or Russian. Xavier asks why Apocalypse needed the external gate. After all, they already had a gate to Otherworld. I'm guessing they're talking about that one at the bottom of the scrying pool or whatever the hell it was at Morgan Morgan Le Fay's place. Apocalypse suggests that this external gate is different. Krakoa does not have full control over it, and access to it might not be limited to mutants. Upon hearing this, Emma Frost will F that noise and suggests that they just destroy it. Magneto concurs. Shaw says, hey, let's pretend we're a democracy and vote. And so they do. The council is overwhelmingly in favor of just trashing the gate that we spent a year fiddle friggin' with over an Excalibur. So thanks a lot, guys. But the only vote that matters is Krakoa's. And the island says... The gate stays. Xavier accepts Krakoa's words because, I mean, they are guests on him or it. Uh, Magneto feels like Apocalypse might have skipped the link in the chain of command here, and he flatly calls him out for it. Apocalypse does not deny it, and only says that he and Krakoa both want the same thing. Magneto's like, okay, that's cool, but you're on your own. The Quiet Council will not sign off on anything you're about to do. A understands and says, okay, I'll just ask for volunteers, and somehow he gets a bunch. Let's jump back to the external gate. Havoc approaches Polaris, and they have a brief scene together. Polaris claims that she's here at the behest of her father, who wants the House of M to look strong in this endeavor. Now, Havoc, he's here as a volunteer, basically because Cyclops isn't. As, uh, you know, this isn't a quiet council joint, Scott can't take the gig. Remember, he is Captain Commander, or Commander Captain, or however we say that. 
we peer over to Apocalypse, who is surrounded by some more of his volunteers. We've got Richter, with whom he's had a weird relationship over an Excalibur. Angel, with whom he's had a weird relationship for like 35 years now. Rockslide, who has had a weird relationship with the Summoner for a couple of minutes now. Beast, who's naturally skeptical of everything. Siren, who wants revenge for her father's grave injuries. And then our final volunteer shows up, and it's Monet. She suggests that maybe one of these days she'll take Saturnine's gig as uh, whatever the hell she does in Otherworld. Okay, then. We get some info pages. A map of Otherworld, which looks more like Baby's first Grant Morrison's multiversity map. Then we get a list of Otherworld kingdoms, and we'll go through them right now. They all stem from the Starlight Citadel, of course. That is kind of the... I don't know, it's the capital of Otherworld. I don't friggin' know. But we got some uh, courts here. We got fair courts, we got foul courts. Let's go through the fair courts. The first one is the Floating Kingdom of Roma Regina, led by Roma Regina. Then we have Infury the Everforge, led by Forge Master Federal Fury 005. And I don't know if this is the Fury, like Jim Jasper's horrifying monster from the old Captain Britain stories. I kind of hope it is. We've got Avalon, led by that weirdo Jamie Braddock. We got Sevelith, led by Countex Dublia and Countex Oscura. Okay. And Mercator, ruled by your guess is as good as mine. It's unknown. We jump across the aisle to the Foul Courts. The Holy Republic of Fey, led by Merlin. The Hot Hive, led by Vesperidae, the Colony Queen. Dryador, which was once led by the Cursed King, who I suppose is now dead because the seat of power lay vacant. Blightspoke, ruler unknown, and finally the Crooked Market, led by the aforementioned Mad Jim Jaspers. We jump back to comics and we're back to the Healing Gardens. There, Rachel and Kid Cable are watching over Banshee, and they both feel as though Banshee is screaming inside his head, and so they decide to have a goo. But first, we shift scenes over to Apocalypse and his extracts. I guess we can call them that. And we get a bit between Angel and Apocalypse, uh, wherein the latter suggests that Warren is acting more like his true self, i.e. the Angel of Death. It's worth noting that Angel is wearing his Archangel costume, though he still has his normal feathery wings. I'm not sure what's going on with him. Uh, last time we saw him was during the Empire cash-in, and Lord only knows whether or not we're supposed to even remember any of that, so your guess is as good as mine. In the distance, they spot Eunice the Untouchable, and he's strapped to a stake, and he's being held prisoner by the horsemen. Now Apocalypse is taken aback at seeing his children after all this time, and he decides to approach them. We jump back to the Summer's kids, and they pop into Banshee's dome, and they're led through his memories. They arrive in Otherworld alongside he, Eunice, and the Summoner. On the horizon, they see a great army. Now Scott's tots get the uncanny feeling that something isn't quite right here. We jump back to the apocalyptic family reunion. Apocalypse approaches his children and takes a knee. They ask him to stand so that they can see him as they remember him, both as a titan and as a god. He suggests that it's a miracle that his children have been returned to him. They don't agree. They've lived through hell for many, 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 many years. We get confirmation, or considering the next shoe that's just about to drop, maybe confirmation in quotes, that Apocalypse's wife, Genesis, was killed by annihilation. He apologizes. The horsemen say that uh, regret is for the weak. Then, they run him through with a spear. 
Oh, and the summoner joins in on the fun as well, stabbing Apocalypse in the back repeatedly. Ruh-roh. Siren screams, which shatters the landscape. Let's hop back to Scott's tots. Now they see the summoner betraying Banshee and Eunice. Then Saturnine pops into the astral plane, telling the kids that there's something they're going to need to find. But we don't get to see what that is just yet. Rachel sends Kid Cable to enlist Mom and Dad to help find the thing. And don't worry, we will have an answer by the end of the issue. And depending on your mileage, it, it might elicit a cheer, it might elicit a groan. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. We jump back to, over, uh, back to Otherworld here, where Saturnine is in meditation mode. The fish-headed woman interrupts her time to ponder how Opaluna has been able to ignore the raging battle going on down below. And Saturnine kind of shrugs it off, and refers to those below as nothing more than pawns in a game. She's not sure if she'll intervene just yet. Down below, the battle does indeed rage. We get to see a face-off between Rockslide and the creepy summoner, with the former asking the latter why he'd betray them. To which, the summoner draws a blade and cleaves poor Rockslide in two. Welp. Richter and Beast try carrying Apocalypse toward the external gate to get him back to Krakoa, at which time poor Julio takes an arrow to the gut. Beast calls to Alex, suggesting that, hey, maybe we ought to split. Alex, Lorna, and Monet tell Hank to get back to Krakoa, and they will attempt to hold the position. Shift scenes back to Summerhouse. Kid Cable lets his folks know about the thing. And we finally get to take a look at it, and it's a big sphere, big orb. Thankfully, Scott knows exactly what and where it is. Hop back to Otherworld. Havoc, Polaris, and Penance keep fighting the Horde. Monet Astral projects herself to Saturnine to demand some assistance. I didn't know that was within her power set, but okay, it is Otherworld. I mean, we can go with Otherworld logic here, I guess. Now, Saturnine pulls a uh, Spectre during a Crisis Level event deal, wherein she says she'll get involved when she damn well feels like it, before jettisoning Monet from her Penance form. To which, Lorna decides, F it, the Starlight Citadel is mostly made out of metal, and so she'll just pull the whole damn palace down. We jump back to Earth, and the Summerses arrive somewhere. Somewhere very Hickman-y, because we get a whole lot of words way too smart for me in the dialogue. We also get to see that great big sphere orb thing. Hop back to Otherworld. Lorna keeps dragging the Citadel down, and Saturnine finally decides to do something. And that something is freeze everyone in place. Back to Earth. The orb is depowered and needs a whole lot of Hickman-y energies to come alive. Singularities, even. Oy. Lucky for everyone, the Kid Cable now wields the Light of Galador, which I suppose is akin to a set of jumper cables, I guess. Back to Otherworld. Saturnine questions the Anubis-looking horseman who refuses to engage. And so Saturnine... I think turns him into a chibi-looking version of himself? I mean, he looks really small and cute. I, I, I think that's what's going on. It's really unclear. We learn that the horsemen want Krakoa. Duh. Now, Saturnine declares that there will be a contest of champions. A duel between the champions of Otherworld and the champions of Arako. Really? Is that really what we're doing here? Okay, well, the remaining X-Men see the writing on the wall and realize that they're about to be part of this tournament or whatever, uh, whether they want to be or not. And so, we get 20 swords listed. Now, one of the horsemen names 10 of them. 
We've got the Twilight Blade, which is the Sword of Annihilation. Mercy, the Sword of Iska, that mutant that we met with the ability to win. We saw her in uh, X-Men number 12. Vermilion, the Red Sword of War, which, as the name might imply, is wielded by war. Colony, which is the creepy summoner's sword. The Black Bone of Amduat, which is wielded by the horseman Death. Seducer, which is wielded by the horseman Pestilence. Pog Ur Pog, which is wielded by Pog Ur Pog. Purity, the sword of that white sword guy who we saw in X-Men number 12. Alluvium, the sword of Red Root the Forest, whoever that is, whatever that is. And Muramasa, which is a Japanese blade. Polaris winds up naming another ten. Muramasa, again. The Sword of Light, which maybe that's a different take on the Sword of Might. Also the Starlight Sword, Captain Britain's eventual blade. Grass Cutter, a sword from the Marvel UK title Black Axe. If the Marvel Wiki is to be believed anyway. God Killer, a sword that had been given to Zeus. Warlock is in the techno-organic dude attached to Doug Ramsey's arm. The Soul Sword, Magic Sword. The Scarab, which is the sword that will eventually be wielded by Apocalypse. The Light of Galador, which is Kid Cable's Space Knight sword. And Skybreaker, a vibranium sword forged in Wakanda. Saturnine refers to these as the Ten of Swords. Okie dokie. Let's jump back to Earth. Cable jams the Light of Galador into the orb. Back to Otherworld, Saturnine states that this contest will occur in three days. Monet wonders what sort of game Saturnine is playing, which facilitates a clunky bit of dialogue, which ends with Opal Luna What's-Her-Face saying, Raise your sword. As she says this, the newly powered orb thing activates a satellite. The satellite of S.W.O.R.D. That is S-W-O-R-D. That boring group that couldn't maintain their own ongoing for like more than four issues. We wrap up with an info page telling us that S-W-O-R-D is offline, but there are bioforms on board, I think. That is X of Swords creation. Next episode, we will be looking at X of Tens part two of 22, X Factor number four. Well, you, you guys don't know this, but I just had to go get a drink of water there. That was a lot of talking and a lot of synopsizing and a lot of, uh, a lot of story. That was a pretty meaty issue there, wasn't it? I mean, where do we even start, right? Um... I suppose we could maybe begin with the betrayal of the Summoner, which was about as much of a surprise as, like, a guy named Sinestro being revealed as not being one of the good guys in the Green Lantern movie. I I mean, just look at this guy. He's a creep. Of course he's going to be evil. That being said, now we have to question, or we get the opportunity to question, how much of his story was legit. I mean, we just had that horribly paced and overly crammed X-Men number 12, which almost turned me off completely from these books. But that was all being told from his point of view. So how much of it was honest? I mean, he says right here during this very issue that he's a liar. You know, that's one of his powers is that he lies. So does that mean that maybe Apocalypse's wife is still alive? Could that mean that the origin of the mutant species rift that we got in that issue isn't completely true? Because I hope it isn't. Because it sucks. Got a lot of questions here, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get the answers soon enough, so that's a good thing. Let's talk about the beginning of this issue, the opening pages here, which uh, 
were a little familiar, huh? It now makes a bit more sense as to why the free comic book day special was so impenetrable. It's because it was actually the first half dozen pages of this issue. Now that doesn't excuse it for being awful. It just makes a bit more sense. And maybe it's further evidence of what a lazy and wrong-headed exercise it was to make as a gimme. Now there were a couple of changes in the telling here, which might make us ask a few more questions. First, were these actual changes or were they meta changes? We never fully know when we're dealing with high-concept stuff like Dawn of X, right? Now, in the free comic book day issue, the dialogue was a bit different, and the cards were also slightly different. Rockslide, the Summoner, and Siren replaced Glob Herman, Monet, or Trinary, Trinary, and Banshee on the Hanged Man card. Now, was that an actual edit, or are we supposed to have noticed that the characters changed? Like, are these hints that we're slipping through realities here? Or was this so poorly thought out that the story was changing even this late in the game? I guess time will have to tell. How's about this contest of champions thing? I'm not sure how I'm feeling about this. I just don't find the arena concept to be all that interesting. Uh, I mean, especially like it's compounded when we're pitting our heroes against... Generic Hickman critters, right? Am I supposed to, like, be salivating to see Kid Cable face off with the Anubis-looking horseman who we've known for five minutes? Uh, Am I going to be chomping at the bit to see Magic versus the Firestorm-looking horseman that we just met? I mean, it's still early yet, but at this point I've got zero investment in any of this. It's probably safest to just put a pin in that for now, and we'll we'll just hope for the best here. We do have... 21 future installments of this, so maybe we'll learn to love the Anubis-looking horseman, right? Maybe we'll learn to love the Firestorm-looking one. You never know. Uh, You know, there are people whose opinions I hold in very high regard who really enjoyed this event, so I'm hopeful that I'll come around to it. I'm just not there yet. It is still very, very, very early, though. Now, there were a handful of Kind of eye-popping moments here. First, Apocalypse being run through by his kids and the Summoner. I mean, I can't lie and say I didn't expect them to be the baddies here. I mean, just look at the cover of the book. But the scene was still very effective and pretty shocking. They, you know, they really came out of the gate hot here. Uh, Rockslide being cleaved in two, uh, another pretty big surprise. Um, I'd heard that Rockslide is going to be a big part of this event, but I wasn't expecting to be killed off right away. Also, uh, did Richter die? I mean, he was shot in the gut with an arrow. I gotta wonder if he survived it. And I mean, of course, they'll all be back. But still, we're, we're kind of amping up the threats here, and that I like, because there really haven't been that many during the Dawn of X run so far, right? So this might be... You know, the, the business is picking up, and, I, and I'm a fan of that, for sure. Um, conversely, I... <laughs> will say I could not care less about S.W.O.R.D. S-W-O-R-D. Uh, that is a concept that is horrendously dull to me. I still bought the original run when it came out. Um, I want to say this was one of the all-Marvel ongoings that was retroactively named a miniseries. And then we were all told to forget everything that we saw that proclaimed it to be an ongoing series because it was always, always supposed to be a miniseries. 
Uh, see also any Brian Bendis series that ran for less than ten issues. We we got a lot of those. Uh, a lot of those. Forget everything you read. Everything you thought you knew about Sword was wrong. It was never an ongoing. Damn it. And neither was Bendis' Spider Woman. Um, I'm still a bit trepidatious about the inclusion of this boring bunch, um, and I'm also a little bit wary that the allegedly ongoing. S.W.O.R.D. series that follows X of Tens is uh, being written by Al Ewing, who, uh, after his flagrant and cowardly use of block bots on social media, I kind of have a problem with. Uh, I'm not looking forward to having to cover that book, and, you know, I'm going to put it all out there. Hopefully I can be even-handed with the coverage. Let's talk art. Now, uh, the art here, it's our House of X bunch, and so it's awesome. Uh, you know, I neglected to mention it last episode, but I found the free comic book day art to be, and I mean, I don't know art, but it felt, it looked a little bit under the standards of what we'd expect from this crew. Maybe a little bit rushed, maybe a little bit crammed. I mean, it's a, it was a weird choice for a free comic book day offering. Um, this though was a return to form. It was very, very strong. There were bits of the story that were difficult to parse, but I don't blame that on the art team at all. Uh, like, what was up with that sort of chibi version of the Anubis Horseman, right? Maybe I'm just being dense, but it kind of confused me. And again, I'm not blaming the artists here. Overall, this was a biggie. This was a big issue, and I'm walking away from it kind of neutral. Uh, there's a lot to like, but also there's a lot to kind of raise an eyebrow at. Um, all things being equal... I gotta say, I'm a bit more optimistic now than I was after reading X-Men number 12 and the free comic book day special. So that's a net positive. And uh, we will, as always, keep on keeping on, and we'll see where this goes. But uh, so far, so good. Now, with all that said, let's uh, let's make an already kind of long episode into an even longer episode by dipping into the mailbag. And we've got... We've got a lot to talk about, so let's get into it here. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about X-Lapsed, episode 101, where we talked about Deadpool number 6. Now, Damien says, My story with Deadpool is very different to yours, as this is the first issue of Deadpool that I've ever read. I've read a lot of Deadpool stories, starting with his first appearance, but this was a first. Kelly Thompson is a weird writer for me, as everything I've read with her name on it has been good, but she's always, she always seems to be given books that I have no interest in. I enjoyed this book, but I'm not going to read her entire Deadpool run because I have so many books I want to read on my reading pile. Not to mention all the backlog of reading I have to get to into your weekend podcasts. I'm keeping them all in wait for when I finally get ahead of things. This means you'll probably get random messages from me about major hex laps in 2030. I tell you what, I'm definitely looking forward to 2030 then because I really want to hear your thoughts on the... Uh, I can't even think of a hyperbolic word to use to describe Major X, uh, other than to say it's something. <laughs> and I'm very interested in hearing your take on it. Uh, I have since uh, run through uh, several comic shops in the area to pick up as many of these Deadpool books as I can get. Uh, the Kelly Thompson run here, I've, I've picked up most of them. Uh, of course, I haven't had a chance to read them because that's... Just kind of my lot in life But uh, I did grab a bunch of them I can't find the first issue, which is weird Because, I mean I'm pretty sure the thing probably had 45,000 variant covers So you'd figure you'd be able to find one of them In the wild, but No, can't find it, can't find it But I am looking forward to sitting down with them They are breezy reads, so it's 
not like uh, it's not like it's going to take forever, and I'm not going to have to worry about writing you know my notes and my script for it afterwards. So I am looking forward to getting to them here. And uh, Kelly Thompson, I you know she started showing up in credits when I was like just about done with Marvel. I, I was you know I was on my way out, so I really didn't get to experience a whole lot of uh, what she put out. But I. From the strength of this Deadpool run, I, I am interested in checking out some of her stuff here. Uh, I did a little bit of research on our friend Jeff the Landshark, and his first appearance was in West Coast Avengers, the uh, newest volume. So it's like, well, damn it, I'm going to pick up an issue of West Coast Avengers to, to have the first appearance of Jeff the damn Landshark. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, too. Uh, maybe that'll be something that I enjoy, and maybe West Coast Avengers will be a series that I uh, that I check out eventually, you know. Uh, Damien continues, Jeff, the Landshark, was the best character in the issue, but I was also impressed that all the characters were behaving logically. It makes sense for the X-Men to not want Deadpool on Krakoa, and it makes sense that he would be hurt by that. It was also a good choice for Thompson to choose Emma to talk to Wade on behalf of the Quiet Council. Having the entire council there would have meant a lot of extra drama that she didn't need. Totally true. Totally true. This was a really good representation of all the characters here. And, I mean... Deadpool, as madcap and zany and just off the wall as he can be, came across as wonderfully human here. I mean, he was hurt by being excluded, and I think that's something that's very relatable, and you don't have to be crazy or eccentric to relate to that sort of a a sensation there. Being left out sucks. Uh, You know, take it from someone who gets left out of things all the time, me. (laughs) It sucks. It's not fun. It makes you question your worth. It makes you wonder what's wrong with you. It's Definitely something that uh, gets under your skin. So seeing Deadpool have this very um, sad sort of realization, like why don't you guys want me? It's uh, it was it was very touching. It was very touching. It brought it was very grounding, and I, and I very much appreciate it. I think that's probably the strongest outside of Jeff the Landshark, of course. That was probably the strongest part of this issue, and it's what made me decide to go back and and pick up the rest of the Thompson run. So really good stuff. Now Damien wraps up with, So until Wade Wilson becomes President of the United States, make my next lapsed. Sadly, I think that could happen. That might just happen. I mean, stranger things have happened. So Deadpool very well might become President of these United States. But uh, thank you so much for your thoughts there, Damien. And I'm, I'm happy that you read the issue of Deadpool. You're very first for the show. So that's really, really cool. I really appreciate you doing that for the show. Uh, next, our friend Mark, Green Lantern HG, talking about X-Lapsed episode 109, Juggernaut number one. He says, just got caught up to the last episodes, Chris. Great job, man. I do hope you continue Juggernaut, if anything, just to catch up on him. If not, I understand, but keep up the great work. Well, I enjoyed the Juggernaut issue, so we might just uh, dip back into that post uh, X of Tens here. So, as I don't want to interrupt X of Tens for another uh, for a side story, so maybe when we're all through here and we maybe take a take a couple days to deflate, you know, to just release the X of Swords tension, and maybe we can do that with uh, with the Juggernaut. There, we'll spend a, a few days with Old Kane Marco there. But thank you so much for uh, your kind words. Uh, next. Ed Moore also talking about Juggernaut number one. He says, I can't necessarily explain why, but I enjoyed Juggernaut more than most of the other current X-Men books. And yeah, um, 
like I said on on social media, Juggernaut was wasn't trying to be anything it wasn't. You know, it was everything it needed to be and wasn't trying to be something it wasn't. So it was easy to enjoy, right? I mean, it was just I don't want to say it was mindless because it wasn't. I mean, there was a story there. There was a real emotion there. There was drama there, but uh it was just an easy to follow story and sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need that, and I very much enjoyed the uh, the ability to just enjoy a story for what it was and not try to link things to other things, And even though I did. You know, of course, I tried to link things, but uh, it wasn't a requirement, which, you know, I appreciated. But thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts there, Ed. Next up, Andrew Franklin chiming in on X-Lapsed episode 108, where we talked about X-Men... Volume 5, number 12. And uh, I opened up the email box today. And I saw the <laughs> I saw the subject title here. And the title was, I just can't with this Hickman BS. And Andrew starts with, I'm sorry to everyone for this extremely negative letter. This is my second attempt to write this. The first time was right after I quit reading X-Men number 12 mid-issue and was mostly filled with my pain shrieking and howling. A few hours to calm down, finish the issue, and listen to the episode, and here's my more civilized attempt. To put it bluntly and harshly, I hate this. I hate all this Araco, ancient mutant race mythology nonsense. The word mutant lost all meaning to me this issue. They might as well be Eternals or Inhumans. It makes me question why Hickman even wanted to take over the X-Men. He so clearly would rather be writing D&D source books for his homebrew fantasy campaign. Not to disparage D&D, I've played the game for around 23 years. This in no way feels like an organic addition to the X-Men lore to me. It feels like story ideas Hickman wanted to use in something and might as well force them into the X-Books. I think it's awful. You know, it's funny you say that. (laughs) I mean, it... Uh, you, you're cracking me up with this email. When I first read it, I was I was giggling the whole way through because I, I could totally relate to these feelings. Um, I remember when we started this and we went to uh, X Cubed, right? The X Men of the Year 1000 or whatever the hell it was. And I said it felt very much like something out of the Legion. And I remember the big rumor a couple of years back, like post rebirth, post DC rebirth, that Hickman was going to come on and like revitalize the Legion. And he had all these great ideas, these high concept ideas for the Legion. And it makes me wonder how many of those concepts are being shoehorned into the, or repurposed, I should say, into the X Men here. Because you're right. You're right. This doesn't feel like an X Men book. Just like I said during the free comic book day issue, it's like. Hey, if you like generic aliens, this is a good book for you. But if you like the X-Men, I'll try enough. Try another book, because this isn't, this isn't the one. Andrew continues. The fact that this issue was a giant info dump did this no favors. If all this Araco story stuff had been more spread out through the series, like you said yourself, it certainly would have been a better, better approach, but I still don't think I'd feel differently about it. The apocalypse nonsense in Excalibur has been spread throughout the entire series, and to me, it's the worst part of a not-so-great book. I dread reading those pages for how aggressively I dislike Apocalypse and his prominence in Hickman's plan. But I agree with you. If this series wasn't wasted on bad one-off stories and actually threaded this Araco crap throughout the issues, I'd still hate it, but it would not have hit me like a ton of crap and probably wouldn't have caused such an extreme reaction from me. Very well said. 
Very well said. I, you know, I personally have kind of dug Apocalypse lurking in the background of some of these books, but I totally understand that it, you know, it is weird having Apocalypse as a focal point and being depicted as a sympathetic character. A lot of the times, it's it's very very bizarre. And I mean, this is coming from a guy who came into the X books right around the time of Executioner's Song, where Apocalypse was very much a sympathetic character in in, in a lot of ways. But I, I totally understand that. And yes, totally. If this if this Araco lore or whatever the hell it was had been peppered throughout, I, I mean, me and Reggie would talk a lot. About and, and this is not a fair comparison Because we did have the COVID hiatus And we don't know how much that might have upheaved things But uh, Reggie and I would always talk about Earning moments in comics You know uh, People don't want to You don't want to You don't want to pour the foundation Right? Because you have to sit there And you have to make sure it, You have to make sure the foundation is even You have to make sure it's dry And then you can start building something That looks like a house Or whatever you're going to build Pouring the foundation is boring, it's unglamorous, and nobody thinks about it unless there's a problem. In comics, nobody wants to pour the foundation. They just want the big story moments. They want the payoffs. They want to do the things that are going to make people go, wow, that's cool. Whether they make sense or not is immaterial. They're going to get their 10 out of 10 ratings anyway. But I feel like the info dump was not earned. I think you can get away with that if you're if you're on point for the entire duration. Then you could do something like this. Again, it's not a one-to-one comparison here. We did have the hiatus this year with COVID. So who's to say that this was just a lesser of several evils, right? Really don't know. I don't know Hickman. I doubt he would take my calls. So we will probably never have an answer for that. Andrew continues. This issue really broke me. I don't like it. It also makes clear to me something I can't deny anymore. I don't like Hickman. I've never read any of his work other than Hoxpox and his X-Men series. I am not on board for this grand mythology that seems to be his big plan. And except for the Mystique issue, every issue of X-Men just gets worse. So I'm not sure I'll be reading this series going forward. Thankfully, there are books like Cable and Hellions that I think are very good, and I have a lot of fun reading. I'm really dreading X of Tens, though, if it's all about this Araco stuff. A little peek behind the curtain here. Um, X-Men number 12, you said it almost broke you. Uh, you should have seen how long I was, you know, I was sitting in front of a blank Google document trying to figure out how to write my notes for that issue. It wasn't like with X-Factor number 2, which I did not like, But it was very easy to write about Because I I was able to point to the things that I didn't like And I was able to, I guess, mindlessly rant about them With X-Men number 12 I didn't even know which direction we were facing most of the time So it's like, how do you even write about that? And I feel like the internet has this um, weird knee-jerk reaction That if you don't understand something Then it's automatically really, really good It's genius level It's not that it's poorly written or poorly paced It's that you're an idiot and you don't get it And that's how I feel a lot of the time When I follow books like this You know, looking at at X-Men number 12 And trying to figure out How am I going to say anything about this I don't understand any of this I very nearly just didn't do it (laughs) I don't know what I would have done instead 
but I was very close to actually putting it aside for a day, maybe releasing another From Claremont to Claremont segment, and uh, giving it another go the following day. But it wouldn't have made it go away, right? So I did force my way through it, and probably read that issue more times than I've read any issue for this entire endeavor to this point. And still probably understand it about half as well as I as I do any of the other books. So, yeah, it was a toughie. And I tell you what, after reading that, and after reading the free comic book day special, I was not looking. I was dreading a month of X of Tens because if this is what it's going to be, it's not for me. But this issue we talked about today, creation. Like I said, I came away from it neutral, which is better than coming away from it negative. Uh, I am intrigued. I'm interested in some of the directions here. Some of the things are kind of like, eh, but we're very, very, very early. Now, Andrew wraps up with, So, until we learn about the ancient vampire race that once ruled the world and the thousand-year magical blood war they fought with the ancient mutant race, make mine X-lapsed. You never know. <laughs> we do have... We do got Dracula lurking on the... On the uh, on the corners of Wolverine's panel, so you never know. We might find out about that, and, uh... Boy, I hope we don't. <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing your thoughts here. Even negative thoughts, I mean, they gives us something to talk about. I feel like one of the strengths of this program is the fact that, uh... We're all very honest about our feelings about these books here. If we love them, we say it. If we hate them, we say it. We're not... Guided by by anything You know, I, I really think that's a strength Of this program, and I, I really It means a lot to me that people take part And uh, are honest with their feelings About these things, instead of just writing to me and saying Hey, it's Hickman's style uh, You either get it or you don't You know, it's you need more than that But And I really, really appreciate you Taking the time to, uh, to share your thoughts On a very Terrible issue <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrew Next up, Jason Colby with a pre-event check-in. He says, As I write, I finished my reread of all the pre-X of Ten's X books and have just a few X-lapsed episodes to catch up on. I thought this would be a good time to pause and take stock of where we are. Frankly, the Wave 1 titles have stumbled a bit into the start of this event, and the Wave 2 titles, save one, hashtag foreshadowing, have been what's maintained my interest. Call Me Kate's Big Return in Marauders, after all that build-up, felt perfunctory and lackluster. The new muse, long-awaited assault on the docks office felt more like the first draft of a sermon or a very special episode of Blossom than an issue of a comic periodical. X-Men has been its usual hit-or-miss self. X-Force? Well, I've kind of gotten into X-Force. I read it as a story of Beast. He's a narcissist who almost deserves to think as highly of himself as he does. He deserves a noble cause, but does so ignobly. And uh, Jason says, no, I don't know how to say ignobly either. Sorry about making you say it on a podcast, and I'm sure I butchered it both times. <laughs> it seems clear that all the beasts, all of Beast's plans within plans are due to, due to collapse soon, and likely spectacularly, and almost certainly to his humiliation. Or will he wiggle his way free? Does Krakoa need him more than they need to punish his misdeeds? And then, separately, there's the continuing mystery of Domino's memories. Fascinating stuff. You make a lot of good points there, and I, I agree with most of them here. Um, X-Force, you, you might be a little bit more positive than I am on it, but uh, there are certainly high points to that book. Uh, I do hate the way Beast is being portrayed, but 
We've said it over and over again. If it does lead to something of a redemption arc, that's fine, right? I mean, he's been portrayed as the as the evil scientist for a very long time now, like a decade plus now. So to see him get his comeuppance or just have his uh, have maybe a, a come to Krakoa moment and uh, and see the error of his ways, I, I would be looking forward to that as well. Domino's memory is another another very interesting thing there, and we've had a lot of theories about that as well. I feel like when Percy is able to focus on characters and maybe rein in a little bit of the preciousness, he puts out a real good book. And, uh, I mean, X-Force has been toward the top of my list a few times uh, of late, which is pretty surprising. Jason continues, Anyway, here are my totally unscientific rankings of all the Dawn of X ongoing series, based entirely on how I feel about them as of this particular moment. And Jason has them separated into tiers here, starting with tier number one, the good stuff. One, X-Force. Two, Marauders. Three, Hellions. Four, Cable. These are the books that I rush to read as soon as they come out, because I'll know I want to talk about them immediately. It's not really fair to put Wave 2 titles out of just a few issues in here with Wave 1 titles that have had more time to establish themselves, but hey, this is my list. Well, I really can't argue those choices. I might argue the order of them, but I can't argue that that those are probably the strongest books we've got going so far. Jason continues, Tier 2, the the you-can-never-tell tier, (laughs) X-Men. This is some of the greatest stories in Dawn of X, including Mystique's barely suppressed rage and the existential maw of the Crucible, and also some of the weakest. The boring Summers Brothers on the Moon with a bunch of lushes and some nonsense about a king egg. It's hard to categorize this one. I agree. I agree. Uh, that that Mystique issue and that Crucible issue, I would probably put those at the maybe the strongest issues that we've gotten so far. Out of all, I mean, what is this? Episode 111. So we've looked at 111 books, and I would put the Crucible and the Mystique issue in the top five of those 111 this, to this point. Very strong stuff, but then again, we've got Petra Sway and Vulcan getting drunk, and we got Brew eating the damn egg, which would be at the very close to the bottom of the 111. So, yeah, you take the good, you take the bad, and like you said, you can never tell with this one. Jason continues, Tier 3, the Just Fine books. They're Wolverine and the New Mutants. He says, yeah, these are okay, about as good as standard current year Marvel. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Tier number four, the ones I read just to keep up with my buddy Chris's podcast. Those are Excalibur and X-Factor. And Jason continues, uh, I never need to hear a single thing about Otherworld ever again. Good thing the upcoming uh, crossover event has nothing to do with that realm whatsoever, right? And I have to chew gum when I read X-Factor, because it... (laughs) Okay, let me try that again. Uh, and I have to <laughs> Okay, sorry about that <clears throat> And I have to chew gum when I read X-Factor Because <laughs> because it sucks so hard That the resulting drop in air pressure Makes my ears pop <laughs> Oh boy Oh god Thank you for that, Jason <laughs> Jesus Oh, he continues. Oh, boy. A few few short comments on recent issues before I go. Is the Morlock Healer named Morlock Healer, or is he just Healer and everyone just calls him the Morlock Healer? Doesn't that seem a bit disrespectful? 
And no, no, everybody does call him healer. I just call him warlock healer because, uh, I don't know, that's how I qualify him, <laughs> I guess. Jason continues. Regarding theory A, that these aren't really our mutants, I think we have to separate this into two sub-questions. One, does Hickman currently intend that these are not our mutants? And two, will the eventual retcon that leads us out of the Hickman era into whatever comes next involve the Krakoan era as having been some kind of switcheroo? My guesses are no and yes, respectively. I agree. I do agree. I think that, and I think I mentioned this either last episode or the episode before, uh, that there will probably be some big retcon that is probably not what Hickman had in mind when he pitched this, but it'll just be the only way that Marvel can, like, I don't want to say salvage this, because that implies that this is a bad thing that we're that we're looking at now, and and it's not. It's just different. But where do you go from here, right? I mean... It's it's a toughie. Uh, either either the entire Marvel universe goes to a reboot, or we kind of work this one out. And uh, yeah, I I definitely agree. I don't think Hickman intends that this is the retcon that's going to happen, but editorial and marketing may you know they may dictate. And uh, unfortunately, they have the uh, they've got the last word. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Jason continues. I feel bad for the Space Knights. They just keep getting screwed. First, their brains are yanked out of their bodies and shoved into robots. Then, they hibernate for a few thousand years and wind up stuck in a museum. Then, a teenage horn dog lies to them about a time machine and blows their asses to smithereens. It's just not fair. And I agree again. (laughs) It isn't fair to them. Uh, In fairness to treating them unfairly, they are kind of boring. Now, they're, they're, they're they're actually more interesting than I found any of the Space Knights lore in any of the times that I ever tried reading it. And it's actually something that's making me wish I had more hours in the day to devote to uh, to reading those ROM comics that are just sitting in a box somewhere in the next room over. But uh, maybe one of these days. We'll see. We'll see. Jason continues. At some point you ask for recommendations for a current quality street-level Marvel book. I suggest you take a look at the current run of Daredevil, which I hold to be the strongest, most consistent ongoing at either of the big two. And don't skip the annual, even though the title on its cover will trigger flashbacks of horrible Spider-Man retcons past. And that's funny. I mean, I've, I did I did pose this question not too long ago because I want something that isn't totally obsessed with space and generic aliens. And uh, I've received... A handful of recommendations, and they've all been for Chip Zarsky's Daredevil. So uh, I figure next time I'm at the shop, I am going to grab whatever jumping on point I can get uh, for this recent or this current run of Daredevil. So uh, I'll let everybody know my, my thoughts here, but I am definitely looking forward to it. I, I adored Zarsky's take on a lot of these characters during X Men Fantastic Four. I thought he had a real good grip on these characters, so I look forward to seeing what he does with uh, with what he's doing. I should say with Daredevil, who was a character that was once in my you know can't quit you territory. I, I've got boy, I probably have like twenty odd years worth of Daredevil comics um, uninterrupted, and it wasn't until the Charles Soule run that came out after uh, well Hickman Secret Wars that. Uh, I finally threw in the towel on uh, on old Hornhead, but uh, before that, I I'd been reading it for years and years and years and years, and never thought I'd stop. And 
yeah, well, maybe it's time for me to go back. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I really appreciate the recommendation for sure. Uh, Jason continues, I know you're beyond tired of Quentin Quire dying over and over. However, I've continued to laugh at it each and every time. He's such a smug SOB that seeing him shown to be not so Omega, after all, is always satisfying. And I find his most recent demise at the end of X-Force number 11 to be surprisingly touching. He has, had, he has just had his moment of bliss with his lady friend Phoebe and appears to be truly at peace with himself for the first time since I've come to know him. Then a Russian nesting doll pops up, stabs him through the chest, and shoves him through a portal. Yes, Quentin knows he'll be resurrected, but he also knows that the memory of this beautiful moment will not be part of his most recent backup and thus will be lost forever to his future self. This death matters. Poignant stuff. Excellent point. Excellent point that I didn't even think about. I think uh, with the repetitive deaths here, I think I maybe maybe I missed the forest for the trees sometimes. And it was just like, oh, God, we're doing this again. I didn't stop to think that, yeah, he just had this really cool moment. And uh, he's not. I don't think he's a guy who gets around with the ladies very often, at least as long as we've known him. And here he is with this wonderful, wonderful experience that he'll be forever robbed of now. So it's uh, that is that is a loss. So very, very good point. Thank you for that. Jason continues. Onward to X of Tens. As always, no spoilers for me, but I will tell you that I have one clear favorite issue of this event. And it's an issue that taught me all about one particular character and why I should love him. I look forward to going through this event again with you as my tour guide and maybe seeing more in it than I did the first time through on my own. So until Amazing Baby takes best in breed at the Westminster Warwolf Show, make mine X-Lapsed. Well, thank you so much for uh, writing in and sharing your thoughts, Jason. It's always a treat to hear your thoughts and uh, be able to exchange ideas and points of view and stuff. And I always feel like I can see something from a different angle after, uh, after reading one of your letters. So thank you so much. And uh, I, hope we, I hope we do enjoy this uh, X of Tens event. So we will we will see as it goes along here. Next up, we got a letter from Nick regarding X-Lapsed episode 100. Now Nick says, congratulations on the 100 episodes of X-Lapsed content. I still haven't read an issue, but the show is still enjoyable. Your Christmas and side series diversions have even been fun at times, but you gotta stop subjecting yourself to the event crossover miniseries. They're bad for your health and sanity. In your intro to episode 100, you said you weren't sure if people looked forward to the episodes or just enjoy them, so I have to confess. I can't say I, quote, look forward to each episode. Your content has been so dependable and of such reliable quality, and the community has been so supportive of your show, that I really just expect that there will be an episode in my queue each morning. But reality is, I know it's a lot of work and dedication that you put into each and every episode and piece of show mail. Keep up the great work, keep reading, keep laughing, and keep enjoying your X journey, and I'll keep enjoying the episodes. So until Chris Sheehan catches up with the current Marvel publishing, or until Hickman is replaced as head of X, make mine X lapsed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to write, Nick. I really appreciate it, and I apologize it took me so long to get to this one, because this one went this one went to the other email, because the emails were messed up, and uh, I think you sent this in like three or four days ago. So I apologize that I didn't include it till now, but definitely means a lot to me that you're that you're sticking around and you're not even reading the books. So uh, that's really, really cool. And it means more to me than uh, I can adequately put into words. So thanks again. Thanks again. Uh, we're going to wrap up the mailbag with 
breaking news from our friend Evan Bevins regarding the great X-Men vote. Now, they're asking fans, that's us, to vote on the final member of the new X-Men team, which means, A, we're getting a new X-Men team, like an actual team, and B, we have a little bit of say in it. Now, Evan, he doesn't spoil things, so he didn't tell me who the already established members are. I don't even know if we know. I'm trying not to do any research on this because I don't want to spoil any of us on it. But Evan did give us the ten candidates here that we can vote on to inform, in a way, the direction of these books after uh, after Exitens, or I guess a little bit after Exitens. Now, those candidates are Banshee, Polaris, Forge, Boom Boom, Tempo, Cannonball, Sunspot, Strong Guy, Marrow, or Armor. Now, you can vote at marvel.com starting today, January 27th, and the vote runs until February 2nd, so hey, don't delay, you know? I don't know if you can vote more than once, but hey, it's just cool that we're getting this opportunity to uh, have a little bit of say. I'm not sure how much say, but it's still pretty cool, and uh, I will definitely be voting, and uh, I encourage everyone listening to vote as well. And also, hey, Let's uh, write in and talk about who you picked and maybe why, and we can talk about it uh, as we work our way through. And when the results are tallied, we can we can talk about that as well. So I think that's a little bit of fun, and uh, I'm really happy that uh, that Evan let me know about this right as it's happening, so we can punch our ticket and uh, and vote for our favorites. So thanks again for that, Evan. And those candidates again: Banshee, Polaris, Forge, Boom Boom, Tempo, Cannonball, Sunspot, Strong Guy, Marrow. Armor, Marvel.com, January 27th through February 2nd. So get them votes in and uh, let me know who you voted for. But I think that'll do it for our mailbag and for this extra-sized X of Swords episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this issue, on this event, on the X-Men, on anything. <laughs> you can reach out to me. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com or xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat with us about X of Swords, Ten of Swords, X of Tens, all that stuff, anything you want, over on Facebook. Our little group is called 90s X-Men. And you can listen to anything you want from the Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that'll do it. I need another drink of water because I am uh, very much parched, so uh, I will get to doing that. But first, I'd like to thank everyone for sharing their time with me on this fine day. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya.